Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Show where the hype ends and the help begins. Right here on KCAA, now broadcasting on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, the stations that leave no listener behind. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, K292 FQ Riverside, and K293 CF Moreno Valley. In his book, From the Trench to the Bench, Judge Herb Dodell demystifies the legal system, including both civil and criminal, the lawyers, the judges, and the process. As a judge former deputy district attorney and criminal defense attorney, he knows the legal system. He has the inside information that you need to pick a lawyer, and he's here to give it to you. No matter what you're facing that makes you think you may need a lawyer, Judge Herb will shed valuable light on your situation and reveal your best options and many secrets of how the judicial system actually works. To find out more about how the legal system really works, you can get your copy of Judge Herb Dodell's eye-opening book, From the Trench to the Bench, at Amazon.com. KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Brother Mike Calhoun.
Open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. As I tell you, 1 and 2 Thessalonians are two fantastic books. Now, most people know that Thessalonians is a famous book for a couple of different reasons. The number one reason that it is two very famous letters, Pauline letters, is because of the stressing of the return, the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ or the parousia. And so as the Lord, as I was praying, you know, we, when we left Ruth, Pastors who preach expositorily or attempt to preach expositorily, which just means in a row, verse by verse, line by line, chapter by chapter. One of the biggest struggles is when you finish something and it's in the in-between time, you're like, it's, it's hard. It's hard finding you need to preach special subjects, special things that are laid on your heart. But then you know you're looking for a text. You're looking for, where are we going, Lord? So when I began to look for a text, I'm thinking of our church. I'm thinking of what are we going through right now? What are we experiencing? And so the Lord, my Lord kept taking me back to First Thessalonians. I said, well, you know, Lord, that deals with the, like I have to tell him. Lord, that deals with, you know, your return and everything. Is that what we need? To, you know, is that really where we need to? Because I love to preach that, you know, that those things. But as I began to prepare and get studied, you know, there's some other, there's a secondary important themes here. And I think this is very important for us at Pruitt. One of the things you see right off the bat in the very first chapter of 1 Thessalonians is an introduction into Paul encouraging the church about them being good followers, about leadership, about building your teams, about building teams, how you're building teams and encouraging your teams. And I was, I was like, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Lord, yeah, I get it. You know, and as I'm studying and I'm thinking, yes, all of this is so applicable. And so imagine that, you know, as the Lord led me to this book and we begin to prepare to see those themes. And I'm telling you that where, where we're at right now in the life of Pruitt is a very exciting time. And 1 Thessalonians fits us very, very nicely. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved of God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord is sounded forth from you, not only from Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone, so that we don't have to say anything. 
For they themselves report to us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. And all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. So at the end of every chapter in 1 Thessalonians, the early canonized, as they begin to canonize Scripture, at the end of every chapter is an exhortation about the second coming of the Lord. This is what 1 Thessalonians is most known for, is the second coming of the Lord and the encouragement of how to wait for the Lord. Um, if you really believe that Jesus Christ is coming again, you really believe that this cosmic event is going to take place. A supernatural cosmic event, every life on the planet will be affected by this, by this biblical truth. It affects you. It affects you as a church. It affects us corporately first, but then it affects you as an individual. You reorganize some things in your life and in your family. If Jesus is really coming back, and praise God he is, amen, then that affects you. That affects you. And so that's why this is an important teaching. It should be taught about. Sunday school teachers, you need to remind your people about that. As you teach Sunday school class, this is a theme that needs to be taught. God's Son, Jesus, is coming back. Amen? But there are some other themes, and we want to touch upon those very quickly. While the homily is not incredibly strong, the word is, and one of the very first themes that we see here is the centrality of the church and the gospel. Uh, it's literally, he is the God of the church, and he's also the God of the gospel. Look what he says. Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in a little word there, a little article, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the traditional greetings, grace and peace to you. This is actually kind of a unique introduction. He is reminding them the church of God in Christ Jesus and also the gospel. It is the gospel of Christ Jesus. Well, that doesn't seem like an incredibly big distinction, but it really is. We live in such a highly personal, personalized, self-centered world. That's the way our world operates and thinks. It is difficult for people in the 21st century to understand that when you come to become part of a fellowship of believers, you're becoming part of a corporate believer. Terry Waters said this. I loved hearing him say it. I hadn't heard it in years. But he was talking about there's something, what we are doing in the corporate worship of the body of believers. It's, it, we tend to think, we tend humanly to think, well, if I go and I join or attach myself to the church, you know, I'm like a, they are so lucky to get me. You know, my batting average is 500. I don't even know, is that good batting average? Isn't 500 good? Or is that bowling? I'm serious, I don't know. But, you know, that's the way we tend, generally tend to think. But in, true, in, in reality, the grace of God bestowed upon you through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have been redeemed from darkness, you have been saved, and then he gives you the blessing of not allowing you to decide, but sending you. Because, see, if you truly work that out the way you're supposed to work that out theologically, he is calling you somewhere. And he's calling you somewhere to be there and to serve there and to be committed there and to pour yourself out there so that in years to come, when you've lived your history, part of that history is in the, the place and the fellowship he's called, called you. Can I get an amen? But that scares you, doesn't it? Because does, Somebody say amen. It scares you because, whoa, wait a minute. I, I really just kind of wanted to come to church. <laughs> and we're glad you did. But I would be remiss, I would be in error if I did not tell you that becoming part of a New Testament church or part of a fellowship is serious business. The Lord doesn't want some of your life or people. 
you want it all of your life. And so it's going to cause you to have constant decision-making process about where and how and what you are supposed to be. So the centrality of God in the church, and then secondly, in the gospel. And he moves immediately. He says to the church of the Thessalonians, God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now, I'm not making much of nothing here. I'm telling you that when he says in the introduction, grace to you, and he uses the word charis, uh, he is talking uh, about two different things. He's talking about a gift that is used in a general letter. If you were to go back in antiquity and you looked at the introductions of the letter, it would have two pagans, two Athenians would might write a letter to one another, and it, would ha- it might have grace and peace in it. It was part of a standard. But when the New Testament church writers wrote it, it carried something a bit different. When he says charis, or it's a gift, he does have in mind not only the fact, it's not a general, just a general greeting of grace to you, or charis, but it is also, it is also the great gift that has been bestowed upon us. In New Testament theology, and New Testament line of thinking, when he introduced the letter, he's, he's saying, talking about the centrality of God in, in God's church, in God's gospel, it is a gift to you, grace to you. This is where we're going to begin and end, and it is, it is grace. It is the grace of God bestowed upon us. I, and you've heard me use this phrase or this terminology many times before. I'd like to pat myself on the back and say, but it's not me. It's not me. It's not me. And it's not you. It is the Lord God. It is Lord God. And as I said just a moment ago, that he would save you, that he would cause his son to die on a cross for you, and then he would bestow that upon you as a gift. And the the pattern after that in your life and how you live out your life, it is it too also is a gift. So grace to you in the introduction. And then secondly, peace. And again, not much to do about nothing here. When he says peace, he is using that common theme. It's a Jewish theme of Shalom. But whereas in uh, contemporary circles at that time, in the early church, peace, when we think of peace, we think of peace as absence of war. Okay? It's the the 30 to 40 minutes on Sunday afternoon when nobody's fighting or throwing a, a cup towel at somebody or, you know, the kids are not wrestling and you can take a short nap. And we think if there's absence of war, then that's peace. That's not the kind of peace that he's talking about here, but rather he's talking about a wholeness. So not only as a gift, in the introduction is he talking about it being a gift, but he's also talking about shalom. He's talking about a peace uh, that is dealing with the totality or wholeness of well-being, the full fruitness of God. So in the introduction, those are the first two issues, one of the first two issues that he's, he's bestowing or that he is praying towards, about to say, praying towards those in the family, the wholeness. Do you feel like that it's been a gift? Do you feel like in your life the, the wholeness that God intends you, that the wholeness of God, that he wants you to be a whole, that not perfect, not perfect, but you're getting out of life what God intends for you to have so that you feel like a whole and complete person, a complete believer. Gee, that sounds awful existential. It's not. It's part of that thing that I've been preaching to you that God has a wonderful, marvelous plan. Are you feeling that plan? Are you filling out that plan fully? You know, I'll have to tell you, one of the greatest gifts I have as a preacher is to know I, I wrestle in my mind about a lot of different things, but I don't have to wrestle about being called to ministry, about calling to preach. And that is such peace in my heart about that. To know that I'm called to do that. I've got one or two other little things I think that maybe are gifts and I try to use, you know. But he's got me pretty limited because he's got me mostly focused on this one thing. Um, you know, I can't help but think about Wednesday night. And I, I'm just talking here now. But, you know, Wednesday night it was such a wonderful night. 
the full, the, the people that were here on church or whatever. And, and so I can't, a lot of the organizational things like that and stuff, I, I'm not really good at. Ron, Chris, they're better than that. Janie, JD, they, they, they just do that stuff. Merit, you know, I mean, there's, we, I didn't do any, I'm no mastermind of that. I, they did that ministry. And what I, got, what I got to do as pastor is walk around and just shake people's hands and encourage them and just say, glad you're here. And I, I trapped a bunch of people in the parking lot. You know, when the pastor's directing traffic, <laughs> that might not be a good thing, but I enjoyed it, you know. I love to do it. I love to do that. Do you know what it is that God's called you to do? You know, I, some of you, most of you are working, whatever secular work that you are involved in, you know, God is pro- involved in that. And he would probably like to use that whether you're a bricklayer or you, whatever it is that you do, he still has a fullness of call that he wants to extend towards you. He wants, to, he, he wants a godly pilot, a godly nurse, a godly accountant. And we're no, we're no different. Amen? Look what he says there. In verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayer, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. Now, I'm not going to go over all of them, but you know, there are several prayer themes. Right there in verse 2, he's talking about, we make mention of you in our prayers. It's a consistent, continual. Paul, it wasn't a passing prayer. It wasn't a passing prayer. Gee, we prayed for y'all. Yeah, we'll keep you in our prayer. It's not that. Paul was serious when he said, we keep you in our minds and our hearts. This Thessalonian church was one of their great works. It was a very famous work of theirs. And so when he says to them, we are giving thanks to God always for all of you and we make mention of you in our prayers one of the things that commentators have noticed about first and second thessalonians is there are several strong prayer themes um, in chapter 1 verse 2 making mention of you in our prayers in chapter 2 verse 13 he says he's thankful for how they received the word in chapter 3 verse 10 he says we are praying and that the lord is building up in you what is lacking in chapter 5, verse 25, he makes a personal request, and he says, please pray for us. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11, he says, we pray always that you will be counted worthy of the hope and calling that is within you. In 2 Thessalonians 3 and 1, he said that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly. We ask you to, we pray that you would do this. In chapter 3, verse 2, also he says that we would be rescued from perverse and evil men. And so did Paul believe in prayer and did he execute prayer and ask for prayer? He most certainly did. And it's very evident in First and Second Thessalonians. Ought we ought not do the same thing. And thinking about things is not the same as praying about things. And many of you right here this morning have needs. You have personal needs, family needs, things you're concerned about. And when was the last time you prayed? about it and a greater challenge is when was the last time have you asked somebody to pray for you about it the church of god is to be a praying church and we ought to be praying for one another and ought to have great boldness and say we need prayer and in this area of our life would you please help us please pray for that pray for pruitt baptist church we're just weird we're just flesh and bone we're just people we're just folks and we need the prayers of the congregation we need the prayers of our friends that we will be successful in our ministry somebody say amen that's just the first couple of verses guys i'm telling you first and second thessalonians is full paul said we give thanks always to god for all of you constantly making mention of you constantly bearing in mind and he says work which this is a uh, ergo you know ergonomics it really means a toilsome labor he says constantly bearing in mind your toilsome labor your works but they were works that were produced by faith 
And a second aspect of it, it was a labor of love, a labor of agape. This is why Paul had been affected by this church. They had been affected by the gospel in an incredible way. The word that he's using there for uh, the word that he's using there for steadfastness is a very uh, incredible uh, incredible word. It's about an expectant hope uh, of love and steadfastness of hope. It's the kind of steadfastness that comes of knowing there's something better coming. There's some there's more coming. And remember, at the beginning of the message, we talked about in the beginning of the message we talked about the uh, anticipatory nature of the gospel. There's a lo- there's a couple of different ways you can live your life in regards to hope. How we are now when we say we hope as Christians, gee, I hope this all turns out. That is not us. That's not the church of the living God. We know how it turns out. We've read the last chapter. Uh, we know what's going to happen to Satan, to the evil in the world, to the injustice of the world. We know that our righteous judge is returning, and he's going to settle all accounts. The, the book tells that we win. The Christians win in the end. Let me, let me tell you something. Our hope is not a, oh, wishy-washy, gee, I hope this works out. It's, 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 going to work, it's going to work out. We have an expectant hope, and it changes how you work out and how you live out your life. Works of faith of labor and of love and of steadfastness of hope, anticipatory hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the presence of God the Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved of God, his choice of you. And not to be diminished, he means he is specializing those Thessalonians saying, God has chosen you. In fact, the very name, the church, Ecclesia, the called out ones, we as a church are the called out ones of God. You are the Ecclesia. The, the called out, you've been called out. Corporately, as a church, I'm telling you something, God does this every Sunday morning. I feel it in the air. I'm telling you that God is calling, he's calling men and women to salvation, and you've not responded yet. But don't worry, because he, he, he's not going to give up on you. He's still calling you. He's calling some of you to greater works or greater acts of service or something different, and you're afraid to. You're afraid to answer, but he's still calling you. Don't forget, you are the called out ones. Just by the fact that you're a Christian, you're a Christian, you've been called to salvation, but then he continues to call you to specific purposes in your, in, in your life that he might be glorified. You know, the neat thing about following, is you already just settled that in your mind, we never get glory or credit. It always goes to him, and one day they will give us the crown, and we'll cast him at his feet, and we'll tell Jesus, you did it all. You did it all, Lord. Somebody say amen. Man, who's living a boring Christian life? It's your own fault. You have been called to something better. Knowing, brethren, beloved of God, his choice of you for our gospel. Here's some of the evidences for this gospel. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but it must come in word. They had preached to the Thessalonians. They had ministered to the Thessalonians. But he said it didn't come in word only. He said it, but it also came in a couple of different ways. Look what he says. But also in power and in of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So there's three things there. The first thing that came out in, here's our famous, everybody knows this Greek word, dunamis, and it's where we get our word, dynamite, powerful, impactful. That the word that was preached there, it came and it, and it did something. It changed people's lives, and when it changed people's lives, you couldn't, they couldn't find a human reason. Why would somebody humanly do this? Sign up for a group of people who are going to be persecuted, killed, driven from the city of Thessalonica, going to have trials, tribulations, you know, you don't sign up for that unless you really believe the message that you're hearing. And one of the problems the church is having in 21st century America 
is that really, brothers and sisters, we don't have enough persecution. But as we see it increase, there is persecution in our country. There's persecution in the work site, in the schools, in the academia. As we see that increase, the dross, the dross is going to fall off. And those who really love the Lord are going to, are going to start just sticking to their guns, and they're going to go ahead and follow through. Because it's the word has come to you in power. It's come to you in power. Dunamis. It came to him, number one, in, in dunamis. It came to him in power and in the Holy Spirit. Not only was it consequential, not only was it consequential, but it was also personal. It came to them in a personal way and through a person. Brother Mike, are you trying to introduce us to your church? Or Brother Mike, are you trying to introduce us uh, to a ministry? No, Brother Mike is trying to introduce you to a person. His name is Jesus. And how does he do that? He does it through the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus is not here. What did you just say? Jesus is not here. The Son is not here, but he is here in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here. The Son is going to return one day in the clouds, and God the Father, that's that third side of the Trinity. But Jesus isn't here except that he's here in you as a born-again believer, and so that makes it a personal interaction. I'm not trying to introduce you to a human or a man-made organization or structure or plan. If we just need a plan, we can throw a plan on the table. i got a thousand different plans. What I'm trying to do is introduce you to a person or reintroduce you to a person. His name is Jesus. Get you better acquainted with a person that maybe you met a long time ago in vacation Bible school or in a youth group or in a revival and just introduce you through the person of the Holy Spirit. I don't have to do the Holy Spirit's work. I just have to preach the word and let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do with you. That's how the gospel came to the Thessalonians, in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. Now, that full conviction is tied to the very next thing he says, because he says, full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And here's where our Christian testimony plays out in this process we're talking about because Paul did say part of that conviction was you saw what kind of men we proved to be they saw them ministering in their presence and so as Paul and the others ministered in the presence of the Thessalonians they said you know I think that guy's real I think Paul I, I heard the message I'm pricked in the heart that the message is real but also Paul is real he that's really that's he really means that this Jesus that he's talking about that they killed in Jerusalem not very long ago he says he's coming back. He says he'll forgive me for everything that I've ever done and, and for worshiping all these Athenian gods, you know, that I've been worshiping. He says that I can be saved. And then his life is matching up with his message. And brothers and sisters, this, you know, we remember last week we talked about judge. Nobody wants to be judged, right? But listen, you have a name. You have an influence. You have a witness. And so you have to be conscious of that. Because you are also a carrier of the gospel. You're a carrier of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and your life needs to match. Do you saying I have to be perfect? No. I'm just saying you have to be genuine and authentic. And as you do that, and as you live your life out in front of other people, you'll have this wonderful impact. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, you also became imitators of us, uh, having received the word with much tribulation, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. There's too much here for me to go over all of this. There are two points here I want to show you, maybe three. When he says imitators, he's talking about followers. And then when he says examples, 
he's talking about tupos. And tupos is a really neat word. Uh, imitators has to do with your ability to follow. He said when, when, he, uh, when he had preached the Thessalonians, they became good followers. I have to tell you, this has been an incredible challenge the, in the church since I've been pastoring to be a good follower, to follow leadership, to follow people where they're going. What if I don't understand everything that the leader's doing? If you've been called to follow the leader, follow the leader. If you go back and read the, the ministry of Jesus, almost no one understood what Jesus was doing. Go get a fish and the tax will be in his mouth. I mean, I don't know what I would, I'm so glad I wasn't there because if I'd have been there, I, would, I don't know what I would have said. Talk to a woman by a well, a Samaritan woman, we, we don't like those people at all. But Jesus goes and one of the most famous encounters there ever was. People didn't understand what Jesus was doing. It was after Jesus died on the cross, was resurrected, had overcome death, that they, he opened their eyes. You believers, you Christians, your eyes have been opened. You know. You are convicted in your heart about leadership, whether it's the pastor or whether it's Ron as a youth pastor or one of the ladies that are, who are working in our children's ministry, Jamie or J.D. Merritt, whenever they ask you to do something, that's leadership trying to get you involved in ministry, and it's a ministry opportunity, but it's also a leadership opportunity. How's it a leadership opportunity? It's a leadership opportunity because it's a wonderful opportunity for you to get to follow the leader. I love following the leader, and I'm gonna—I promise not to bring this up too many more times. But you remember when I told you that I went to the oil field for that year? Do you know what my favorite part of that was, Ron? I told you. I didn't have to tell anybody to do anything. Everybody told me what to do. <laughs> and I just did it. And I thank the Lord for it. It was a great year. My mind just rested. I watched sand go down a hole and uh, thought about the Lord and prayed watching that sand go down a hole. And I just did what everybody told me to do. And when they weren't looking, I snuck the gospel out and lead some of them to the Lord. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tell them about Christ. Tell them how to save their marriages. I love you. Pray about being a good follower. And then secondly, pray about making an impact so that you become examples to all the believers. That word right there, circle that word if you're in your Bibles. Tupos. It, the original meaning of that word right there means to strike a, a blow in wax. And it's talking about so that you became an example. It means so that it's talking about the results of an impact. My wife will tell you that nothing has had an impact in my life like my encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. 
I mean, it changed, it's changed everything about my life. It changed, it's changed everything. And when I have a good day or a good week now, in the time I'm living right now, it's when I've had a good impact for him in the world. If I let him still impact my heart. See, some of y'all, you, you think you've drifted too far away. Or you think that you've done something and you're too far away from the Lord. you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, he still loves you, and he's still wanting to make that impact in your heart so that you can have an impact in the hearts of others. And that's what all of this is all about. So has Christ made an impact in your life? Have you been saved? Are you living a very dry and stale Christian life right now, but you want to do more, you want to be involved more, and you want to make an impact? The gospel, it's a God-centered gospel. Not about Mike, not about the church, not about our buildings. It's about a man named Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's here this morning to convict you about that and tell you where you need to go. Everybody say amen. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Father, I pray that we have preached and interpreted correctly for you this morning, Lord. And I pray in the, in, in the uh, invitation time that we will grasp that this is all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. It's amazing grace for you, dear Lord. None of us deserves to be here, but by your holy grace, you put us here together this morning, at this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, You're listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Brother Mike Calhoun. You can turn over your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 tonight. I actually planned something else out of uh, Corinthians. It's a really great little passage at the end of a chapter that we're studying, but I wanted to come and talk about this right here in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. And as y'all turn over there, I'll tell you with some friends of mine, and I didn't recognize them, they asked me not to, but we're here this morning, uh, Norm and um, Donna Sue McLaren. And they were such a surprise. What a blessing it was to see them. And they brought me... uh, some different things, some artifacts from my first church. And so tomorrow it'll be 29 years ago that they and their church uh, ordained me at Hendricks Baptist Church. And so it was really kind of a surreal thing to see. They brought a little notebook that had a, a memory book of that they produced at their 100-year anniversary in 2012, I think it was, and uh, had pictures of all the pastors, their stats, and so... Just for a few minutes, I was looking at it before service tonight, and I'll tell you, it's just really, um, it just does not seem like it's been almost 30 years, just a year shy of being 30 years of uh, going down to that church and pastoring that church, but it was a church very much like Pruitt, very, very much like, and uh, we had, the Lord really did a a neat work, but who the Lord really did a work in was my life, you know, um, some of the best miracles I got to see early in my Christian life was what God did in my life. And I think I shared the story with you when I came to Pruitt, how that I was actually had gone, if you recall, or went to talk to a couple of men at Atchley, which is just a few miles outside of town from Hendricks. And that really was the where the town was at. And it was kind of like Hendricks was like Pruitt to Van. You know, it was outside in a way. And for whatever reason, you know, it didn't work out, and so we didn't at, uh, at actually, so just a couple of days later, Hendricks called me and asked me if I would come preach. And then they asked me if I'd come 
back and then they asked me if I'd come and do a call. And I'd just been a Christian about a year and a half. I hadn't been a Christian very long. And you know what the scripture says, uh, not a novice lest you be lifted up, be tempted. You, you know, you can fall. But um, I didn't know enough. If I'd have known more, I probably wouldn't have done it. But I didn't know enough not to do it. And so I went ahead and followed the Lord. And, and I told him my first Sunday morning there that y'all are going to have to help me because I don't know what I'm doing. Now, how would you like for your pastor to save you? And, you know, the Lord was just reminding me a few minutes ago, Michael, you still don't know what you're doing. I'm the one who knows what we're doing. And y'all just follow me, and y'all, you'll be all right. Amen? Um, so in Colossians chapter 3, look what it says there in verse 1. He says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. What a powerful word. We're going to read some more. But at this particular point, what Paul is telling the church at Colossians there, at Colossa, to do is to actually put on a new self. And this can be very confusing. What does that mean, to put on a new self? Well, the, the Greek terminology, the Greek verbiage for it, is just like putting on a suit of clothes. And I think we struggle with that in our Western mind, but, you know, it is really actually a good, it's a good description of what we have to do intentionally. We have to do it mentally about putting on, about putting on Christ. And it's, uh, it's something we more surrender to than we make ourselves do. Now, I, I meet a lot of Christians trying to make themselves do something, but you can't, you can't win that way. You actually surrender yourself to Christ. You make yourself an open vessel. It means you've got to pour yourself out. You've got to confess your sins. You've got to let go of yourself, and he'll fill you up. Um, one of the most troubling lessons I learned as a young Christian was, you know, God can't use a dirty, he, God can't use a dirty vessel. So you can't be enamored in sin or be carnal and God fill you to the place where you can be used. And so that means that we have to go in regularly for a cleaning. We have to daily ask him to forgive us of our sins. And as that vessel becomes clean, then the Holy Spirit has free reign. And then it becomes more understandable about putting this new other me on, as it were. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. Now, there's the, here's the, the hook, isn't it? Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ. If you have been raised with Christ. Now, Billy Graham's association said back in the 80s that, that he felt like at least 75% of most membership in a Baptist church was lost. And he felt like a good number of pastors really had never had a conversion experience. And that's kind of a shocking thing for us to think about, but really it would explain a lot. It would explain a lot because our stats for things like uh, uh, divorce, premarital sex, drug abuse, all the ills that society has, they're exactly the same. It's not like the people who are of the church. Our incidents of mental distress or whatever are less than those who are not in the church. And so, you know, I think it's, I think it's good, healthy theology for Sunday school teachers to push us, for pastors to push us, for our youth pastor to push us. Are you saved? Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. Now, Brother Mike, how do I put on Christ? What's, what's the power What's the power that's taking place there that I can put Christ on? Well, it's twofold. First of all, 
Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, this indicates for us a co-resurrection. Now, I say this when I'm, I, I might confuse some children when I do this, and even some young adults, but when Christ died on the cross, and when he was raised from the dead, I was raised with him, in a sense. I died with him on the cross there. I can go back there, not that I, not that I physically, not in a cellular structure, but in the fact that I placed my faith on him, I've taken on all his, what he did was right, what his sacrifice, I take all that on for myself. I have not become a Christ, but I have gained the benefits of Christ. And so as he died, I died. And so I know my sins can die. And wherefore, before I became a Christian, I had no power. I just, I would sin, I, no conviction. There was no inner voice in there saying, maybe a bit of my conscience, but not the Christ, not the Holy Spirit in my heart saying, this you ought not do. But now that we are raised again, we've died to that and we've been raised again, we have an inner voice and it's a very distinct voice for the Christian who surrenders himself to Christ. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Now the phrase again, for the Greek phrase there, and this is encouraging to you, keep seeking, it's a continual, it's a, I can't say it just exactly right, it's a continual uh, it's a continual, continual, continual action. Now, some Greek words, some Greek verbiage says, "Do a, continue till you're done and stop. It's a very specific form of Greek. But this Greek is a continual, contagious, a continual, there's another word, I'm, it's escaping me right now, but it means consistent. Continual, consistent action, that's the word. Continual, consistent action is ongoing. So you have to keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So several years ago, you might have remember when there were some miners that were uh, trapped in the mine. In fact, some of them died. A few of them got out and their organs had shut down because of the CO2 that was in the... One of the miners there was reading his New Testament. And as he pulled it out, the Bible just fell open to this passage right here. And he said they had all gotten discouraged. They thought, man, because some of the guys had already died. And they didn't think they were going to make it. And he opened his Bible, this verse right here, and it said, it said, keep seeking things above. You and I have experienced, and yea, we even know other Christians who've experienced where you get discouraged as a Christian. You fail. You make mistakes. You fail. Or you can't control some area of your thinking. Uh, or you can't con control, maybe you're, you're struggling in an area of your life. And you're just kind of like that minor trapped in that mind. You want to give up. It's a continual, consistent action of keep seeking the things above. I think almost all Christians have some different things. Well, I remember, well, before my mother passed away, I thought, I remember thinking, oh, but if my mother passes away, oh, I won't be able to bear it. I, I don't even know, I don't know if I'll, well, I think everybody has those fears. We all have different things that we fear. Oh, well, well, you may not have the grace to overcome that, this side of that event. You actually have to go through that event. And as you go through that event, if you'll continually, consistently, continually seek him and seek the things above, seek Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God, he will get you through that event that you're going through. He goes on to further emphasize that. He says, set your mind on the things above and not on the things that are on the earth. So not only is it a continual, consistent, continual seeking of him who's seated at the right hand of God, but it's also a setting of your mind. There's an Old Testament passage, and you won't hear me do this very often. I'll look it up tonight. I'll, I'll text you all, text it to you all or something. 
But it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. It doesn't say in the Hebrew that God came and he sat by David and encouraged him. It said that David encouraged himself in the Lord. And it was almost like that David, in his own mind, set his mind to go ahead and say, well, you know what, God, Jehovah's my God. You know, Jehovah and I have been in this scrap before. You know, Jehovah hasn't let me down yet. It was like he sat down and had a conversation. Do you know what most of our conversations are like in the world today as Christians? Oh, that's never going to work. Oh, that's never going to work. Oh, we've done that before. It, it'll never work. Uh, it, that'll never work here. Oh, that costs too much. Oh, that's too far to go. Oh, that's too hard a person to reach for the gospel. He or she's too mean for me to approach and be brave. That's how our minds think. But I tell you, and you know what? That gets to us, too. And when we're faced with a challenge, we say, oh, I'll never be able to overcome this. I'll never be able to overcome this fear or this roadblock I've got in my life. But if we can be like David, if we can do what he's talking about, and we intentionally set our minds, and I, and I say this all the time, it's our minds. The battlefield of the Christian's life, yes, it has to do with the heart, but let me tell you something, it's right here. It's what we allow to go on right here between these two ears. What I think, what I allow myself to think. And before I go on to that next verse, I'll tell you, I know some precious, precious people who told me that they struggle with negativism. They're just negative. Sweet, they're sweet people. And I'll just tell you, Brenda, Brenda's, Brenda struggles with being negative. She just sees, she, she tends to, like, she can see the bat, like something is, now not with me, or not with others, but with herself. She'll struggle and say, oh, this is, you know, it's a mental discipline, I think. Uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit who and who takes our when we encourage ourselves the Lord helps us overcome those things look what he says in verse 3 here's another reason that you can do this for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God this is a scary con this is a scary concept for a new Christian or a young Christian um, it looks a lot better when I do it on the whiteboard but when I uh, counsel a child I, I do this little artwork on a whiteboard and I show them they know the gospel I love it when small children do it and they're able to share with their parents oh my goodness they know and I just let the children tell them I said what is this oh that's the that's the, the mountain of crucified oh that's the cross oh that's the tomb and they just are firing them out like that a lot of kids who come into the office they're like that because they've heard the gospel so much parents don't realize that they know as much as they do but there's always a little bit of a tense moment whenever I say I, I'll draw a little stick person and I'll draw an arrow pointing to the ground, and I'll draw a stick person laying on the ground, maybe put a little slit for his eyes because they're closed, and I say, you know, that's whenever we die. We die. Yes, you know, the old, the, the old little Allison died. The old little Tommy died. We died to ourselves. You're brand new. You're born again. That's why we say we're born again Christians. And that's a word I think we ought to recapture as a church. To encourage people, you've got to be born again. That's good theology. The old person's got to die. And Brother Mike, how's that important? Let me tell you how. When, the, when some of the things I used to think as a lost man come creeping around and get into my head and try to and crawl through a back door, I remember that guy's dead. He died. He died when he asked Jesus to come into his heart. He doesn't exist any longer. Now, the nature's still there, but that old guy, that old Mike Callahan's dead. And I'm going to tell you something. That's a very invigorating that's a very liberating thing for us to know that that old person that we used to be before we met Christ is gone and he's died 
Um, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, verse 4, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Let me tell you the power of that verse is that we're not just finding a holding pattern here. I'm going to win the victory that he set me on. I'm going to win this victory. And I'm not going to win it here in the flesh in this life. I'm going to experience victories and victories, but my ultimate victory will either be when he shows up in the clouds and gathers me and the rest of the church up and we go home and I'm alive, or after I close my eyes for the very last time, and a long time after my funeral, and people have forgotten about me and who I was and what I did, he'll blow a trumpet, there'll be a shout, and then I'll be raised. And so, see, we're working towards something. And you remember this morning, this was such a hard passage to preach this morning about judgment because it just, it just sounds so terrifying. But I tell you, it just, it's just so important for us to know your life matters. We're not staying here, and you're not stuck where you're at. We're going somewhere so that when Christ, who is our Savior, is revealed, we will be translated with him. Everybody say amen. Verse 5 says, Therefore consider the members of your, bo your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Now, if we were preaching expositorily and I was going through all of these, uh, this, is, this would be a place where we'd take a little a break for probably two weeks. You can preach a couple of weeks on these verses right here. But they're very important because the first thing is you have to consider that. You have to consider and recognize that as deadness and dead works. A lot of what I used to do and think and believe and, and was under the effects of, that's dead. It's deadness. And it's, 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 it's heartbreaking to see people who still participate in dead things. I know people who, who think they're really living the life, but there's deadness to that. Carousing, drinking, immorality, fighting, all that stuff. Just carnality. They don't have to be wild people. They can be fairly moral people, but they're, they're involved in dead things. And um, there's people in the church who'd rather be involved in dead things rather than things that are, that are alive. Um, we can get in a rut, you know. I don't know if I told you the story. This person just came to mind, but uh, Miss Peavy House was a lady who discipled Brenda and I. Her husband, Mr. Peavy House, discipled me, and she discipled Brenda. But she told us about one of the very first churches they had, and so when they got called to this church, there was just a lady, just for whatever reason, you know, the church was growing, things were going well, but this little lady... She just didn't like the pastor. She didn't like the pastor's wife. And Mrs. Peavy House started teaching little, little people Sunday school class, small children Sunday school class. And so she came down there. Her first Sunday morning, this pastor's wife, his first Sunday morning, this lady came down there and said, now those are my chairs. I'm going to have to get those. I teach this class. Why was she? She got mad whenever the new pastor's wife got hired. And so she said, well, yeah, well, well, let's get them. We'll gather them up. She let her have her little chairs, put those little people on the floor. And so the next week, uh, she had made some mats of some kind, and she had them down there, and that lady came by there and peeked in that room, and there were all those little kids on those mats Miss Peavy House had made. And she got finally got convicted, and she tapped on the door and said, Miss Peavy House, I still have those chairs. Would you please use those chairs? for those babies. Now, we can get in a rut of dead things, and before we know it, we don't know why we get set up against somebody, we get angry against somebody, 
But there's deadness in that. That's, a, that's carnal thinking. And we have to consider those kinds of actions and that kind of attitude as, deadly, as dead, dead works. Therefore, consider the members of your bo- earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, desire, greed. And it, all of this amounts to idolatry. A lot of the things that we do, a lot of things that man does that are according to the flesh, ultimately, are, we can say it's selfishness, but it's, it's a form of idolatry. Um, a person who worships their own desires and follows their own desires, that's a form of idolatry. That's just like going out to Egypt here, finding an old dead uh, wooden idol in the ground and digging it up and worshiping it. That's idolatry. And so is worshiping your anger. Going ahead and let, letting anger just rule your life. Or jealous, or jealousy, or lust. You set that up as a, an idol in your life, and you worship, you worship that. It's feeding your flesh. It feeds you. And we have to consider those things, as de- that we're dead to those things. Uh, now, he's not saying that the wrath of God is on you here in this next verse, but he's say, look what he's making an implication here. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. He didn't call them sons of disobedience. He said the wrath of God was coming. It is for these reasons, the very things that you don't want to be involved in, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. He didn't say you were, and that's why we ought not be involved in certain types of behavior, certain types of thinking. It's because that's reserved for the lost and fallen world, who we preached about this morning, the lost that are never going to turn to Christ. And so if, if I... Not if, but when I sin, I'm not behaving like a child of light, like a child of God. I'm behaving like one who the wrath of God abides on. And so this is a, a, it's not a scary tactic, it's a scary fact that he's telling those Colossians. Don't live like that because that's not who you are. That's reserved for the sons of wrath. Verse 7 says, and them you also once walked when you were living in them. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Keep your finger there, too. But in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, this is a very verse. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not be deceived? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkenness, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And verse 11, and such were some of you. Everybody stay with me tonight. And such were some of you. One more time. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. I think that one of the the great challenges as I get older as a Christian is to not forget that such were you and such were you, Mike Calvin, and such were you. I think we can be a Christian for a long enough period of time and we forget, first of all, what it's like to be saved, uh, what it's like to not be saved. We forget what it's like to be lost. And if you were fortunate enough to be saved as a very young person, and that's a great testimony, that's the best testimony, you may not have that line of demarcation in your life that's really powerful, but you remember what an old life was like and what a new life is like. And I'm just telling you, the old lost life, that's a hard life. 
probably why my heart is so soft towards the lost, because I remember very vividly what it was like to be lost and what it was like to be hopeless and to be suicidal and not wanting to live. One of the things I told the pastor who led me to the Lord, and I don't share this a lot in my testimony, but I told him, I said, I am very, very tired. And my voice might have been breaking just like it was then. But I told him, I am very, very tired, and I'm just 24 years old. And I hope you have some answers for me. And we have a lot of young people that come in here, and they don't know Christ. We've got a lot of young visitors right now, and they're tired. They're tired because they're running themselves to death, because they're trying to make every ball game and every t-ball game, and they've got themselves stretched financially. They've got themselves stretched in their marriage, maritally. They got themselves stretched in every way, and it's easy. And I've done it to snicker, to go, well, you're doing it to your, you know, I, it's easy to be judgmental. But, you know, I know, I remember what it was like to be lost and to have that pressure of friends and family. So, well, no, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. Amen? Don't forget what it was like. And such for some of you. Verse 7, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you all put them all aside, anger, wrath, slander, abusive speech, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have laid aside the old self with these evil practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created them. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all in all. There's only two kinds of people in this world. There's those that are lost, and there's those that are saved. You know, I don't use a talk politically, but I'm going to talk to you some, about something tonight. I'm going to give you a little encouragement. You know, there's several thousand people that are heading to, to the United States right now. You, they're belligerent. They're coming. They're going to come here. They're going to make their way into our country. And I tell you, the Lord says there's only two kinds of people in that territory. There's lost and there's saved people. Some of them are lost and they're I expect my country to do what it's supposed to do. The Lord says that the soldier doesn't bear the sword in vain. We have an order. We have laws, and they're supposed to be provide. Those laws are supposed to protect our country. But we have to be careful when we talk about these things as Christians. There's still people. There are people that are either lost or saved. And I pray that God will give our president, whom I'm so thankful for. I am so thankful for that. And our Congress and our Senate and our leaders. And we can't be pulled in the trap. Suppose some little Hispanic family down here at the Easy Mart hears me say something like, and I would never say this, but hears me say something, well, they ought to just take tanks and just run them right back into, and he knows I'm a, supposed to be a Christian. Maybe that little Hispanic guy has got a mother back in Mexico and a sister and people he cares about. I have to be careful 
about what I say and how I say it. No matter where I stand politically, because, listen, spiritually, God expects me to stand in such a way that he and his cause, which is the number one cause, cannot be hurt by me. I still love my country. I still love our, I still pray for my leaders. I pray that God will give them, I give them wisdom. But there are only two kinds of people that come into this church house, and that's either lost persons or saved persons. And we have got to make that our focus so that we can win some of them. Can't be, can't be cruel and judgmental. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas. A podcast of this service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 945 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903-963-7473. KCAA.